Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror Podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. The Battle of Cape St Vincent in February 1797 was the second fleet action of the decade-long war against revolutionary France and the first to propel Nelson to fame. Captain Collingwood, in The Excellent, called it, quote, one of the most brilliant sea fights that ever was fought. The British fleet of 15 ships of the line, he wrote, dashed at the Spanish like griffins, spouting fire, and having passed their line, divided them into two parts, and by a skilful manoeuvre, which was led by Commodore Nelson, turned most of our force to the greater part where the Admiral was. When the news reached England that the Royal Navy had not only beaten the Spanish fleet of 27 ships of the line, but captured four of them, including two first rates, it was declared to be, quote, in all its circumstances, first and unparalleled in naval history. When the remains of the Spanish fleet reached Cadiz, the officers were, quote, hooted and pelted by the mob. Nelson wrote to Fanny, his wife, the more I think of our late action, the more I am astonished. It absolutely appears a dream. Cape St Vincent is on the coast of Portugal, about 100 miles south of Lisbon and 200 miles northwest of Gibraltar. Since August, Spain and France had been allies in the war against Britain and Portugal. The British fleet, under Admiral Sir John Jarvis, had withdrawn from Corsica and Elba in the Mediterranean and was based in the River Tagus in Lisbon. The Spanish fleet under Don José de Cordoba y Ramos was escorting to Cadiz four ships laden with mercury. That's essential for refining the silver on which the Spanish economy depended, before joining the French off Brest for an invasion of England, but had been blown far west into the Atlantic. The British had warning of the Spanish fleet because Nelson had passed through it in the fog on his way to join Jarvis from Gibraltar. The victory ordered the fleet to prepare for battle at 4.30pm on the 13th, and Spanish signal guns were heard to the south during the night. On the morning of the 14th, the two fleets were about 15 miles apart, obscured in fog, the Spanish to windward with a wind from the southwest. The British fleet was in two divisions sailing south, 
The Spanish was also in two divisions, a small group sailing south protecting the Mercury ships and a larger one sailing north that was not formed in a line of battle. The Spanish thought the British had only nine sail of the line and the master of the Prince George could not see, quote, there was sufficient skill or discipline to execute any orders their commander might have given. The Spanish fleet was in fact very short of skilled men. The flagships had only 60 to 80 sailors on board, with the deficiency made up of around 800 pressed landsmen and untrained soldiers. One Spanish officer said it was impossible after the first broadside for the captain or officers to persuade any of the crew to go aloft to repair the injured rigging. Threats and punishments were equally ineffectual. The positions of the ships at the beginning of the battle can be imagined as the figures on a clock face with north at 12 o'clock. The largest Spanish group at 11 o'clock, the British at 2 o'clock, and the smaller Spanish group at 5 o'clock, with the wind coming from 7 o'clock. Jarvis could have attacked the northern group directly, but by passing through the gap could cut off the smaller group. In the fog, the ships carrying the mercury were indistinguishable from battleships. At 11am, Jarvis ordered the fleet to form in a line of battle ahead and astern of the victory. His flagship at 11.12 to engage the enemy, and at 11.30, the Admiral intends to pass through enemy lines, meaning the gap between the two Spanish groups. As he put it in his official dispatch, such a moment was not to be lost, and I felt myself justified in departing from the regular system. Meaning to lead his ships against the Spanish to prevent them turning his front or rear. The leading ship was HMS Culloden of 74 guns, commanded by Captain Thomas Trowbridge, followed by the 98-gun ships Blenheim and Prince George and three 74s, and then the Victory, all exchanging fire with the southern group. By noon, the Culloden had passed the last Spanish ship and the Victory signalled her to tack to pursue the northern division, remarking, he tacks his ship to battle as if the eyes of all England were upon him. The British ships in the rear division were ordered to tack in succession. At about the same time, Vice Admiral Moreno in the 112-gun Principe de Asturias in the smaller group tried to join Cordova and frustrate the British plan. He came about and led six ships north to sail behind the rear of the British. He reached the British line before the victory tacked, and as the victory's log records, was forced to tack close under our lee. We raked her both ahead and astern. He appeared to be in great confusion and bore up, as did six other of the enemy's ships. The British rear division should now have tacked in turn as Jarvis had ordered, but Vice Admiral Sir Charles Thompson in the 98-gun Britannia did not respond Nelson, in the 74-gun captain, fifth in line in the rear division, saw that Cordova was trying to lead his ships across the rear of the British line to join the southern group. He seized his moment. Colonel Drinkwater, an observer in the 32-gun Lively, recalled that Nelson told him later, quote, I thought unless by some prompt and extraordinary measure the main body could be diverted from this course... Jarvis's well-arranged designs on the enemy would be frustrated. I therefore ordered the captain to wear, and passing the rear of our squadron, directed Captain Miller to steer for the centre of the enemy's fleet. 
where was their admiral-in-chief, seconded by two three-deckers. At the time, though, Drinkwater remembered, quote, The contest in which the Commodore was thus engaged appeared to us so unequal and the contrast between the captain of a small 74-gun ship and the gigantic ships of the enemy was so preposterous that we could, at the moment, only view this proceeding of Nelson as rash and perilous in the extreme. Nelson was supported by the Culloden and then the Blenheim and the Prince George and other ships. Those in the Lively recalled, quote, the superiority of the British fire over that of the enemy and its effects on the enemy's hulls and sails were so evident that we no longer hesitated to pronounce a glorious termination to the contest. At 2.35, the excellent Captain Collingwood joined the melee from the rear division. In Nelson's words, quote, The excellent ranged up with every sail set and hauling up his mainsail just astern past within ten feet of the San Nicolas, giving her a most awful and tremendous fire. The San Nicolas luffing up, the San Jose fell on board her, and the excellent passing on from the Santissima Trinidad, the captain resumed her station abreast of them close alongside. At this time, the captain, having lost her foretopmast, not a sail, shroud or rope standing, the wheel shot away and incapable of further service in the line or in chase, I directed Captain Miller to put the helm astarboard, and calling for the boarders, I directed them to board. The San Nicolas surrendered but was fired on from the San Jose, locked alongside, defeated but not yet surrendered, so Nelson took some of the boarding party into her main chains in an instant. And, as he wrote later, on the quarter-deck of a Spanish first-rate, extravagant as the story may seem, did I receive the swords of the vanquished Spaniards, which, as I received, I gave to William Fernie, one of my bargemen, who put them with the greatest sang-froid under his arm. Or, as Collingwood put it, quote, with as much composure as he would tie a bundle of faggots. The Santissima Trinidad had struck her colours with over 200 killed or wounded, but was rescued or recaptured by two Spanish ships, and with Admiral Moreno gathering the Spanish survivors around her, as well as two new ships arriving from Algeciras. At 4.39, Jarvis signalled the fleet to form line ahead in close order and secure the four prizes. At about 4.50, the Britannia, last in the rear division, found herself in the way of Moreno's ships and exchanged fire before following the fleet to the north. The Spanish were seen in the morning to windward and still a superior force, but did not renew the action and sailed for Cadiz, where they were blockaded. The British sailed first to Lagos Bay to land their 3,000 prisoners, then returned to Lisbon. Jarvis wrote to all his captains, quote, No language I am possessed of can convey the high sense I entertain of the exemplary conduct of the flag officers, captains, officers, seamen, marines and soldiers embarked on board every ship of the squadron I have the honour to command. British casualties were 73 killed and around 400 wounded. Spanish, between 1 and 2,000 killed and wounded. Jarvis was created Earl St Vincent, Nelson was knighted, and on the 20th of February promoted Rear Admiral. But that was by seniority, and before the news of the battle reached England. William Fearney is remembered by Fearney Point on Nelson Island, British Columbia. 
The prize money for the four captured ships was £14,643, 27 shillings and 12 pence. The San Josef served as a flagship in the Royal Navy until 1837, then as a gunnery training ship at Plymouth, and was finally broken up in May 1849. Eyewitness accounts. George Parsons. George Parsons was born in Lambeth in Surrey around 1783. He joined the Royal Navy in July 1795 as a first-class volunteer in the 98-gun Barfleur, Captain James Dacres. At St Vincent, the Barfleur was immediately astern of the victory and Parsons was a midshipman, stationed on the quarterdeck. He was then a signal midshipman in the Foudroyant under Nelson, commanded a gunboat in the expedition to Egypt and was promoted lieutenant in 1802. He took part in the Battle of Copenhagen in 1807 and the action of the Basque Roads in 1809 before retiring due to ill health in 1810. He became an admiralty agent in Atlantic steam packets and in 1843 he published his Nelsonian Reminiscences, where this account appears. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The 13th of February, 1797, was employed by the British squadron under Sir John Jervis in getting ready for the ensuing fight, on which depended not only the fate of England, but the civilised world. Grinding cutlasses, sharpening pikes, flinting pistols, arming the borders, filling powder and fitting well-oiled gunlocks on our immense artillery by the gunners, slinging our lower yards with chains, and in short, preparing a well-organised first rate for this most important battle. The men and officers seemed to me to look taller, and the anticipation of victory was legibly written on each brow. During the long night, we heard many heavy guns to windward and felt perfectly certain that they proceeded from the Spanish fleet, which could not be very remote. The day dawned in the east, and up all hammocks ahoy resounded through the decks. Some were sent aloft to barricade the tops, while the remainder were stowed with unusual care as a bulwark around the upper decks. Great haze had prevailed during the night, and it still continued. 
general signal flying on board the victory for the fleet to make all sail on the starboard tack, preserving a close order of sailing in two lines, a vice-admiral leading each line, with Sir John in the victory two points on the weather bow, our two frigates, and La Bonne Citoyenne sloop under a press of sail to windward. At nine the latter made the signal for a strange fleet to windward. Then that they were twenty-seven ships of the line and ten frigates, with a cloud of small craft, and that they were the Spanish fleet under Don Cordova. These intimations of approaching battle were received by the British squadron with reiterated cheers. And so beautifully close was our order of sailing that the flying jib-boom of the ship astern projected over the taffrail of her leader. Signal was made for the Culloden to chase to windward, and after a short period to form the line of battle, without regard to the established order by which manoeuvre Captain Trowbridge led the British line, and one more competent could not have been selected. Here we must admire that wonderful tact and knowledge of human nature possessed by Sir John Jervis. Naval etiquette has established the senior captain as better fitted to lead from his experience, and he is so placed in the established order of battle. But practice has sometimes proved the fallacy of such a theory, and Sir John, without offending, placed at the head of his line one of the most perfect seamen. No man could have led the British line better, or better have proved the unrivalled judgment of Sir John Jervis. I have a glimpse through the fog of their leeward line, called Signal Lieutenant Edgehill from the main yard, and they loom like beachy head in a fog. By my soul they are thumpers, for I distinctly make out four tier points in one of them, bearing an admiral's flag. Don Cordova in the Santissima Trinidad, said the vice-admiral, and I trust in providence that we shall reduce this mountain into a molehill before sunset. The British had formed one of the most beautiful and close lines ever beheld. The fog drew up like a curtain and disclosed the grandest sight I had ever witnessed. The Spanish fleet, close on our weather bow, were making the most awkward attempts to form their line of battle, and they looked a complete forest huddled together. Their commander-in-chief, covered with signals and running free on his leeward line, using his utmost endeavours to get them into order, but they seemed confusion worse confounded. I was certainly very young, but felt so elated as to walk on my toes, by way of appearing taller as I bore oranges to the admiral and captain, selecting some for myself, which I stored in a snug corner in the stern gallery, as a corps de reserve. The breeze was just sufficient to cause all the sails to sleep, and we were close hauled on the starboard tack, with royals set, heading up for the Spanish fleet. Our supporting ship in the well-formed line happened to be the captain, and Captain Dacres hailed to say that he was desired by the vice-admiral to express his pleasure at being supported by Sir Horatio Nelson. It wanted some time of noon when the Culloden opened her fire on the Spanish van, and our gallant fifteen so close together soon imitated her example. The roar was like heavy thunder, and the ship reeled and shook as if she was inclined to fall in pieces. I felt a choking sensation from the smell of smoke of gunpowder, and did serious execution on the oranges. This uproar and blinding appeared to me to have lasted a considerable time. But I judged more from my feelings than my watch, when I heard our active signal lieutenant report the Culloden signal to tack and break through the enemy's line, and the fleet to follow in succession. Down went the Culloden's helm, and she dashed through, as reported, for my vision was dazzled, between the nineteenth and twentieth ship of the enemy, closely followed by the Colossus, whose foreyard was shot away in the slings, as she was in stays. "'The captain has put her helm down,' called the signal luff. "'Only in the wind,' said the vice-admiral. "'She will box off directly.' The admiral was wrong, and Commodore Sir Horatio Nelson went clean about, and dashed in among the Spanish van, totally unsupported, 
leaving a break in the British line. Conduct totally unprecedented, only to be justified by the most complete success with which it was crowned. After losing sight for some time of the little captain among the leviathans of Spain, one of them, by some chance, appeared close under our stern. Just as I had applied one of my select store of oranges to my mouth, she opened an ill-directed fire, apparently into the admiral's stern gallery, that I was viewing her from. The first bang caused a cessation of my labours. The second made me drop a remarkably fine Maltese orange, which rolled away and was no more seen. And the third made me close my commanders on the quarter-deck, bearing to each an orange. An opening in the Spanish fleet now showed the captain on board of two Spanish ships, large enough to hoist her in, and to our astonishment and joy a tattered Union Jack fluttered above their sweeping ensigns. The Commodore had made a bridge of one to capture the other, and both were prizes to the captain, Sir Horatio Nelson. At this time, the fleets being much intermingled, Sir John bore up in the victory to rake the Salvador del Mundo, who carried a rear admiral's flag, and had been roughly used by the excellent, which had passed on to assist the Orion, engaged by the Santissima Trinidad. What a smashing broadside was sent into the unfortunate Spaniard's stern by the victory. And before she could digest such a dose, we delivered another, which caused the Spanish flag to be quickly lowered, leaving our following friend to take possession of her. When the British squadron passed through the Spanish fleet, they cut out eight ships of the line, who then tacked and kept hovering to windward of their distressed friends. The rear division now perceived the imminent peril of their commander-in-chief, who was dismasted and very hard-pressed. Indeed, it was roundly asserted that he struck his colours and re-hoisted them on the rear division bearing down to his succour. The Conde Règle, who led his division, ranging up alongside His Majesty's ship Britannia, received one of the most destructive broadsides and hauled her wind in a great hurry, taking no further part in the action. The time was now nearly 5pm, and two first rates and two second rates showed the gay Union of England fluttering over the ensign of Spain. Our prizes and disabled ships had fallen to leeward, and as the day was closing, Sir John, who must have been amazed at his own success, made the signal for the fleets to reform the line of battle to leeward, and bore up in the victory to close them, and formed his line just to windward of his prizes, between them and the Spanish fleet, which still remained in the greatest disorder, the commander-in-chief in the Santissima, with only her mainmast and mainyard standing. I believe the slaughter on board her so unprecedented that Don Cordova, on shifting his flag, stated he had left four hundred of his men dead on her decks. The captured ships had suffered much, and certainly took a glutton's share of beating with apathetic composure, their return being very feeble. Had the daring and heroic soul of Nelson been infused into the breast of every British commander on that glorious day, every one of their gorgeous ensigns would have bowed to the Jack of England, and Sir John Jervis would have been created a duke instead of Earl St Vincent. John Nicholl. John Nicholl was born in the small village of Curry, about six miles from Edinburgh in 1755. His oldest brother was a lieutenant in the Navy who died of his wounds in the West Indies. He chose his father's trade to please him and become a cooper. But as soon as he had served his indenture, he joined the Kent's Regard, a tender commanded by Lieutenant Ralph Douglas in Leith Roads. He sailed around the world twice and visited all six inhabitable continents. He served aboard the Lady Juliana, a convict transport in the Second Fleet to Australia, and fought in the Goliath, which he calls the Goliath, in the gunner's crew in both the Battle of Cape St Vincent and the Nile. In 1797, he was 42. His life story was published in Edinburgh in 1822 by John Howell. 
While we lay at Lisbon, we got private intelligence over land that the Spanish fleet was at sea. We, with all dispatch, set sail in pursuit of them. We were so fortunate as to come in sight of them by break of day, on the 14th of February, off Cape St. Vincent. They consisted of 25 sail, mostly three-deckers. We were only 18, but we were English, and we gave them their valentines in style. Soon as we came in sight, a bustling commenced not to be conceived or described. To do it justice, while every man was as busy as he could be, the greatest order prevailed. A serious cast was to be perceived on every face, but not a shade of doubt or fear. We rejoiced in the general action, not that we loved fighting, but we all wished to be free to return to our homes and follow our own pursuits. We knew there was no other way of obtaining this than by defeating the enemy. The hotter the war, the sooner the peace, was a saying with us. When everything was cleared, the ports open, the matches lighted, the guns run out, then we gave them three such cheers as are only heard in a British man of war. This intimidates the enemy more than a broadside, as they have often declared to me. It shows them all is right, and the men in the true spirit baying to be at them. During the action my situation was not one of danger, but most wounding to my feelings and trying to my patience. I was stationed in the after magazine, serving powder from the screen, and could see nothing. But I could feel every shot that struck the Goliath, and the cries and groans of the wounded were most distressing, as there was only the thickness of the blankets of the screen between me and them. Busy as I was, the time hung upon me with a dreary wait. Not a soul spoke to me but the master-at-arms, as he went his rounds to inquire if all was safe. No sick person ever longed more for his physician than I for the voice of the master-at-arms. The sergeant's mate, at the commencement of the action, spoke a little, but his hands were soon too full of his own affairs. Those who are carrying run like wild creatures, and scarce open their lips. I would far rather have been on the decks amid the bustle, for there the time flew on eagle's wings. The Goliath was sore beset, for some time she had two three-deckers upon her. The men stood to their guns as cool as if they had been exercising. The Admiral ordered the Britannia to our assistance. Ironsides, with her forty-two pounders, soon made them sheer off. Towards the close of the action the men were very weary. One lad put his head out of the porthole, saying, Damn them! Are they not going to strike yet? For us, to strike was out of the question. At length the roar of the guns ceased, and I came on deck to see the effects of the great sea engagement. But such a scene of blood and devastation I want words to express. I had been in a great number of actions with single ships in the Proteus and Surprise during the seven years I was with them. This was my first action in a fleet, and I had only a small share in it. We had destroyed a great number and secured four three-deckers. One they had the impiety to call the Holy Ghost we wished much to get, but they towed her off. The fleet was in such a shattered situation, we lay twenty-four hours in sight of them, repairing our rigging. It is after the action the disagreeable part commences. The crews are wrought to the utmost of their strength. For days they have no remission of their toil, repairing the rigging and other parts injured in the action. Their spirits are broke by fatigue. They have no leisure to talk of the battle. And when the usual round of duty returns, we choose not to revert to a disagreeable subject. Who can speak of what he did when all did their utmost? 
When the Admiralty issued its Naval General Service Medal in 1848, 348 of those present at St Vincent were still alive and claimed it. George Parsons was awarded an additional bar for his action in Egypt. John Nicholl did not. He died in Edinburgh, rescued from destitution by John Howe in 1825. Well, I hope you enjoyed this, our first episode in a special series on the Battle of Cape St. Vincent. It will be followed by an episode offering the Spanish perspective, with contributions from Dr. Agustin Guimara and Dr. Pablo Ortega del Cerro from the Spanish National Research Centre in Madrid. After that, there will be an episode analysing the battle, with contributions from two world-renowned Nelson scholars and biographers, John Sugden and Mariana Chisnick. Please also be aware that this is our second Great Sea Fight special. So if you've enjoyed it, do please listen to the three episodes we've published on the Battle of the River Plate. Do follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. We've got a little YouTube channel starting up as well. And please do join the Society for Nautical Research. If there's one thing you can do to help, it's this. You can find us at snr.org.uk and your membership fee will go towards publishing the best maritime and naval history and towards preserving our maritime past. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.